Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for um, this song. Of what a delight to know that we are yours and you are ours, that we belong to you. We pray that you would stir our hearts this morning as we um, dig into your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself uh, to us, each and every one. We do ask it all in the mighty name of our Savior, the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Well, you can have uh, open before you um, on your laps uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at uh, all the verses, 1 to 23, but we're not going to read them um, uh, up front. Uh, we'll be referring uh, to them. We'll be reading them as we go through the, the message uh, for today. Uh, today's message is proper care for the body life of the church. <clears throat> so many family feuds or rifts are caused by undisciplined thinking, uncontrolled emotions, and uncaring actions among family members. What you begin to realize in these situations is that although such family members are full-grown adults, many areas of their characters remain undeveloped or underdeveloped, and they fall prey to faulty reasoning, explosive outbursts, and catastrophic decisions. If you're going to choose so-and-so over me, you won't see the grandkids. <clears throat> hmm. Or you said this or that about me. I want nothing to do with you anymore. I have no family. Or I needed you then, but I don't need you anymore. Well, the end result is always the same. The family unit is fractured and you're left with a whole lot of pain and hurt. Well, the Apostle Paul is dealing with similar issues in our passage, but in a different context. Divisive behavior among members of the church, the family of God, brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ. If unity is to be preserved, proper care is necessary. And so he administers what I'm calling proper care for the body life of the church. Body life, you say. What do you mean by the body life of the church? Well, if you replace the phrase body life with the word fellowship, <clears throat> you would convey the same idea. It comes from the Greek word koinonia, which means what is shared in common as the basis of fellowship. What is shared in common as the basis of fellowship. Proper care for what we have in common, that is our union with Jesus Christ, where we faithfully share the life of Christ with one another in a way that results in spiritual growth through the exchange of God's love and truth in Christian service. 
Paul does not doubt that the Corinthian believers are in union with Christ. They live, move, and have their being in Christ. The Spirit's work in their lives is evident, and they give a credible profession of faith. But when it comes to the question of whether or not they are properly caring for that life together as a body, Paul's answer is unmistakably clear. You're failing, and that in a spectacular way. Paul immediately addresses the schismatic or divisive behavior that's threatening the body life of the church by laying out a a visual corrective action plan, a map of body life practices that matter for the health of the church. He, as it were, holds up this, this map before them and identifies for them four body life practices that matter for the proper care of the shared life in Christ. Each time he says, this is where you are, this is where you need to be, and this is what you need to do in order to get there. So first of all, your maturity level matters. Your maturity level matters. Verses 1 to 3. Listen, to what Paul says. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready, for you are still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Well, the point that uh, Paul is making in these verses is that our union with Christ brings with it continuous growth as a body. That's the nature of our relationship with him. We grow continuously. Paul shows them on the map of body life practices that, that they've lost their way. The Corinthian believers are not growing. So he tells them, this is where you are. Presently, I must address you as people of the flesh. And that's the word that's translated from the Greek. Of the flesh. Infants in Christ who only have the capabilities of ingesting and digesting milk. And who, by their very nature, put themselves first. Well, he does two things here. He's telling them that they are Christians. He is also telling them that they are being, as far as this practice is concerned, disobedient Christians. There are two words in the Greek that Paul makes use of to describe their immaturity, both translated in our passage, of the flesh. So in verse 1, we take a look, he's using the milder term because he's associating it with the new birth. As people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, he says, back to back. He sees evidence of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. However, in verse 3, he uses the harsher term because he's associating it with the carnal sins of the flesh that they have not put off. He sees a failure on their part to participate in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. 
This has led some to carve out for themselves a new category in the Christian life, that of carnal Christian, where you can believe in Christ as your Savior, but not submit to him in obedience as Lord. But Paul is saying just the opposite. The deeds of the flesh that he identifies are jealousy and strife, and in chapter 1, verse 11, quarreling. There is a a readiness to quarrel um, in this word strife, right? A contentious spirit and an affection for dispute. Literally, hot enough to boil. This this idea of, of the word jealousy, right? Boiling, it could be anger, love, zeal for either good or bad. The context has to determine what it is. Obviously, it's being used in the bad sense, which is why it's translated jealousy. Through this undisciplined approach to the Christian life, he's telling them, you allow sinful ambitions to propagate unchecked. Now, this is where you need to be, he tells them. I should be addressing you as spiritual. And that's the word. Spiritual people by now. Those who have acquired the capabilities of ingesting and digesting solid food and who put others first. He should be striving, you should be striving, he's telling them, to attain. Look at Paul's own example. I strive with every ounce of of my ability to attain Uh, the perfection in Christ, knowing full well I will never be perfect on this side of glory, but that's that's the picture, striving to attain that excellence. And this is how we are transformed into his likeness. Listen to just a couple of scriptures. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, and it will be given to you. Give and and it will be given to you. Forgive as you have been freely forgiven. Consider others better than yourselves. Look also to the interest of others. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Is that taking place at Corinth? Not at all. Spiritual people know themselves. And if you listen carefully, you could hear them complain of their own failings, but there's continuous growth. And what Paul is saying in an incidental way is is you, spiritual ones, are the ones who provide the beauty products for the proper care of the body. Even as you acknowledge and address your own remaining areas of immaturity that you're working on, You help fellow believers who have disagreements with each other. You help the immature in Christ to grow in their sanctification. And then he tells them this is what you need to do in order to get to where you belong. Repent. (laughs) Oh, repent. And that's not all of it. Repent of spiritual laziness. 
Number one, acknowledge that you've lost your way. You have become satisfied with status quo mediocrity, right? Because of your own lack of progress in the, in, in the Christian faith. So you must break the cycle of perpetual immaturity and say no to worldliness if you're ever going to be a productive, productive member of the body and practice faithful use of the means of grace. Get back on track to that which preaches Christ and focuses on Christ and elevates Christ and exalts him. And then trust God to produce in the body because only he gives the growth, only he gives the increase, only he's the one who blesses in this way all of our labors. Trust God to produce in the body, not only in yourself, in the body, a fuller demonstration of growth in Christ. As we mature in our mutual union in Christ, we display not only the, the ability to apply operating uh, principles of the kingdom, but we begin to bundle them. Um, one thing that has come to me recently as I seek to grow uh, and mature in the Lord is uh, three, three elements that I was able to bundle together, right? We know of each one individually. So um, don't take yourself too seriously, right? We're talking about no arguments, getting, uh, being of one mind and getting along, right? Don't take yourself too seriously. Don't take others too seriously, right? But take God absolutely seriously. You bundle them together and you realize, this is how I live. This is how I'm called to live each and every day, right? So we go now to the second uh, point that Paul is making, the second practice on the, uh, on the map. <clears throat> Your maintenance of ministry gifts matter, verses 4 to 9. Your maintenance of ministry gifts matter. And just to clarify things, I'm talking about the ministry gifts that were given to the church by Christ. What are they doing with them, right? Verse 4, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. The point that Paul is making in these verses is that our union with Christ, our shared union with Christ, brings with it a closer bond of unity with each other as a body. This is the nature of the relationship that we have with him. 
Paul shows them on the map of body life practices that they've lost their way. The Corinthian believers are not using the ministry gifts to serve one another. And he points on the map, this is where you are. You are in a divisive way tearing the fabric. And that comes straight from um, not this chapter, but chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians. The phrase in chapter 1, verse 10, that there be no divisions among you indicates the divisive or the schismatic nature of the activity that they're engaged in, as the word translated divisions literally means tearing the fabric. Verse 4 and chapter 1, verse 12 indicates that it was nothing less than a power grab. Hmm, a who's who. And a, and, a, and a popularity contest all rolled into one. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. Making all claim of, of Christian unity a sham. And so we think about it. If they have plateaued no growth, as far as their maturity level is concerned, <laughs> they're in free fall. As far as maintaining the ministry gifts is concerned, they're out of control. They had spiraled downward into sermon tasting, preacher lambasting, church cut and pasting, spiritual gift wasting parasites who are sucking the lifeblood out of the body. And then he tells them, this is where you need to be. Cohesively displaying what you already are. Having been knit together. Again, we find it in, it's in the perfect sense, perfect tense in uh, verse uh, 10 of 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10 continues the thought of there being no divisions but that you may be, or that you be united, that's the word, in the same mind and the same judgment. And so that word translated united indicates an activity of the mind that reflects and maintains the having been knit together, perfectly fitted quality of the church. In verse 5 of our passage, Paul says that he... Apollos and Cephas by, Cephas by implication, right? They're all, we're all servants. And not only that, we're assigned. We've been assigned by the Lord. In verses 6 to 8, he uses agricultural language to show that though they have many gifts, watering, uh, planting, watering, right? They are used for one purpose. Right? In verse 9, he concludes that whether they are planting or watering in God's field or working on God's building, they are using their gifts as God's fellow workers and trusting him to give the increase, preserving the unity through the use of their gifts. They see the importance of being in agreement with each other in Christ. All the gifts assigned in the church have this same purpose 
Think about yours. Same purpose, same promise. You faithfully use the gift. Only God gives the increase. And this is what you need to do in order to get to where you belong, he's telling them. Repent of this this self-serving pattern of misappropriation. Why do I say misappropriation? Because they're taking what God has given and has designed it to do for their own purposes. It's it's a form of stealing. Stealing from God. To put the spiritual gifts in a wrong use is not, not a light matter with the Lord. When your eyes are elevating preachers to feed your own psychological, philosophical, sociological needs, right? The rest of the gifts of Christ that he has given to the church are devalued. Repent and practice using the ministry gifts as designed for serving others. As you break free from this debasing and degrading treatment of the gifts of Christ, you are at liberty to study your union with Christ and the communion that we have with him. You're learning the connection between the many and the one in him. And then trust God to produce in the body a more intimate bond of unity in Christ. We move to the third uh, practice on the map. Your measurement of success matters. What standard are you using for the assurances that you have in life? Ten to fifteen According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled or wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, Wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, the point that Paul is making in these verses is that, once again, our shared union in Christ brings with it pleasing sacrifices that are offered up to God as a body, acceptable and pleasing sacrifices. This is the nature of our relationship with him. Paul shows them on the map of body life practices that they've lost their way. The Corinthian believers are not measuring, again, 
the Corinthian believers are not measuring the quality of their work by God's standard. So he tells them, this, this is where you are. Your, your contribution, your work is, is at fleeting. You know, <laughs> take this list, right? Take this list. I'm thinking of my first graders, right? If I laid out one object that represented each of these things, and I said categorize them, um, they might do it according to color uh, of the objects, you know, but I mean, eventually I think they'll get it, you know? Gold, silver, precious stones belongs over here. Wood, hay, straw belongs over here. And what is Paul's point? Paul's point is that uh, uh, their quality is like wood, hay, and, and, and straw. It's fleeting. It's not going to last. It's going to be burned up. Misappropriating the ministry gifts are the wood, the hay, the straw mentioned in verse 12, and will be burned up as we read in verse 15. They want to put in place the self-serving divisions complete with rankings and ratings <laughs> for Paul, for Apollos, for Cephas, And if this is left unchecked, this divisive ideology will only serve to deconstruct the church. Make no mistake about it. Satan is at work. His objective is to deconstruct the church. And how does he do it? By reframing the faith. And so if this goes continues unchecked, they were going to reframe, excuse me, they're going to reframe the faith in terms of winners and losers with their idiotic popularity show. Who knows how they were talking about the brothers who were unified in one purpose in, in building them up in the faith. What Paul is saying to them, the faith has already been framed and cannot be reduced to winners and losers. For they are the many prepared as one bride for Christ. <clears throat> and this is where you need to be, he tells them. Your contributions, your work for the Lord needs to be as enduring as gold, silver, precious stones. What are the gold, silver, precious stones? Well, they're going to be rewarded, but it's, it's when you use the ministry gifts as they were designated by Christ, poured out on the church by the Holy Spirit. Take as an example Paul himself. As he corrects the Corinthian believers, he's putting gold, silver, precious stones as that wise builder, that master builder. He uses the blueprint of God's word and spirit, the blueprint of the faith, the gold, silver, precious stones. Now, are you 
a wise builder type, not in the same sense as the Apostle Paul is referring to himself. But are you in that same flow? Who doesn't turn a blind eye to lies that undermine the truth and give people a false assurance? The message of God is that the church is being built. The enemy of the church wants to deconstruct it. The kingdom of God is increasing continually. The enemy seeks to stop that growth, even if the way to accomplish it means by perpetuating falsehoods. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Now, we are so thankful as a denomination for um, Machen. Uh, Machen saw what liberalism was doing to the church. They wanted to put in place a self-serving adaptation of theology, that is, a theology with a wax nose that they could twist and turn to their own liking, whereby ministers did not need to believe in the essentials of the faith. This divisive ideology would only serve to deconstruct the church by reframing the faith in terms of updated and outdated, using modernism and relativism as gauges. So what do I mean? Well, they would say science discoveries and cultural mores of the day demand that we make theological changes to our convictions. Paul says, and, and Machen says, no, no. These doctrines of the historicity of Christ's incarnation, death, burial, and resurrection are of first importance. The Apostle Paul says it so clearly. And the same historical Jesus will come again on the clouds of glory to receive all who believe in him. And are we paying attention? And we see the next wave of schismatic theology, woke Marxism, attempting to do that diabolical work in the church. They want to put in place the self-serving offices for diversity and equity and inclusion. And through this divisive ideology, they seek to deconstruct the church by reframing the faith in terms of oppressors and oppressed using class warfare type tactics, particularly critical race theory. No. No. Not on our watch. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You are free. Let no one take away your freedom in Christ Jesus. And there is now no Greek or Jew, no male or female, no slave or free in Christ Jesus. And that is entirely sufficient for us to unite us as one. The faith has already been framed and declares us neither oppressors or oppressed, but as free in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. And then the Apostle Paul tells them how they are to get to where they belong, repent of the false standards and assurances. What an offense. What an offense to God. I was thinking about this. I, I, I heard someone talking about a family member who had trouble kind of processing things and would make things up in their minds, but give the appearance that everything is normal. Uh, but this person would, uh, would project ideas. You said this about me. And the person is like, no, I didn't. I'd never even thought that. I, I, I mean, and it, and it happens to other people as well in this context. But the offense, it just wells up within you because it's a lie. It's not based on the truth at all. The reality is this. And the reality that has made up in this person's mind is, is way over here. It's based on make-believe. But just to give you a sense, God is offended. We're offending a holy and a righteous God when we do uh, such things. Practice instead full reliance upon the word and spirit of truth. And listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may, uh, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Or it can be read that you may discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what we want for our lives. And then trust God to produce in the body a greater degree of purity in Christ. Well, lastly, he looks at uh, another principle. Your mindset matters. Your mindset, your attitude, verses 6 to 23. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive you. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God, for it is written. He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life, death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. The point that Paul is making in these verses 
is that our shared union with Christ brings with it a boasting, not in the things of this world, but a boasting in the cross of Christ as a body. That is the nature of our relationship with him, to boast in the cross, in Christ, in the redemption that he has come to provide for us. Paul shows them on the map, the map of body life practices that they have lost their way. The Corinthian believers are not boasting in what they have in Christ. And, there, and he shows them very, very succinctly, right, where they are. They're setting their sights on the wisdom of the world. Paul knows that the Corinthian believers are still relying on this world's wisdom. How does he know that? In verse 3, he asks them if they are not acting in a human way. And similarly, he asks it again in verse 4. In chapters uh, 1 and 2, he says that the wisdom of this world is destroyed. It's thwarted and shamed. The wisdom of this world is folly with God. There's a huge reversal um, going on as Paul just relishes this, this portion of the word because he's saying, yeah, the foolishness of the world, they're calling it the wisdom of the world, right? And here we have the cross, which to them is foolishness. It's the wisdom of God for our salvation. It says God has used the simple things, right? The broken things, um, the lowly things, to, to shame the wise. <clears throat> he wants them to set their sights on the wisdom of heaven. This is where he tells them you need uh, to be. Paul removes, in this, in this particular portion of the word, he removes every reason for not boasting in the Lord. He's removing every reason for not boasting in the Lord. Verses 16 and 17, in Christ Jesus, right, the one, as we read in, um, in, in chapter uh, 1, the wisdom of God. He became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And, and he's saying, yes, in Christ, we are God's holy temple in whom God's spirit dwells. How glorious. Verses 18 to 20 God has the wisdom of this world pinned down. It's cornered. Its demise is absolutely certain. And then in verses 21 and 22, God has given you all things. And I thought, I, I think this, this gate must have given him such great delight. Because he's saying, look, you're being so self-centered and selfish, right? Here we come as leaders, 
And we're telling you, it's like we could bend out, bend our knee before you. We are yours. We're servants of the Lord Jesus Christ to serve you. We're yours. Think of the husband and wife uh, relationship and how the Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 4 to 5, tells them that one doesn't own the other, right? The husband's body belongs to the wife. The wife's body belongs to the husband. There's a mutuality there that Paul makes very clear, and we are to have an attitude that uh, insists on giving rights, not demanding rights. (laughs) So he's calling on married couples to give of themselves for the good of the other instead of seeking to get their needs met. And this is what you need to do in order to get to where you should be. Repent. Repent of that that pride of adapting worldly perspectives, that arrogance in the face of what God has done for you and given to you, this foolish boasting must stop. You're thinking too highly of yourself um, with that emphasis of, of worldly wisdom. It's mine. It's like he's demonstrating it, right? He's slamming the door. Takes a door and just slams it shut. He says, that's what's happening here with the wisdom of the world, the so-called wisdom of the world. The door is slammed shut. And he contrasts it to swinging the door open again and saying, here's the door that's open wide for you. Boast all you want in the cross, the wisdom of God for us. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Chapter 1, verse 18. And Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 24. And so Paul Oh, concludes in this, in this glorious way, right? And now in him, now we may live in a way that honors and glorifies God. Having the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ, yours. I am yours. So even though he's saying, I, Paul, and Apollos, and Cephas are yours, he's saying, you do the same thing. You turn to one another and you say, I am yours. Um, so it, I, I, it got me thinking when I saw that. I saw how beautiful. Yours. All of, all of it is yours. <laughs> makes, makes me think of the passage where Paul says, all things work together for good. They're all yours. But it made me think of the letter writing, right? Where you sign off, yours, you know. So I was like, where did that come from? So I kind of did a little research. It's, it's, yours is the last remnant of old former, uh, formal, excuse me, uh, valedictions. A valediction is a formalized ending of a, of a, of a correspondence, usually a letter, a formal 
valediction would look something like, I have the honor to remain, sir, your most humble and obedient servant. I was like, yes, <laughs> that's, where, that's where it came from. Over time, the formality waned and the valediction ended up being shortened to your most honorable servant or your most humble servant or if writing in a family, um, like a husband writing to his wife, uh, you know, <clears throat> your loving husband. The common theme here is that the valediction expressed a relationship between the sender and recipient and the relation expressed it in the form, yes, Usually, I am your most humble, loving, and then sign your name. Um, and then ultimately, it got shortened to uh, simply yours, right? What a beautiful way to think about how we interact with one another. And then Paul says, trust God. Trust God. After you do those things of repent and exercise faith and practicing these things, trust God to produce in the body a clearer view of the glory of Christ. So Paul, in a sense, flips the script, right? Now he calls lights, camera, action, and then he goes through it, right? We are yours, actually. All is yours. And you are Christ. And Christ is God the majestic train of God's glory includes you and includes me. May we, um, even though I would say that as a congregation where our fellowship, our body life is, is, is healthy, is there not more that we can do as we uh, think about applying these principles to our own lives and to our families, that we would have an even greater display of unity in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this portion of your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and the wonderful gifts that you gave him. Uh, that he was able to map this out for the congregation. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, we know that you addressed the seven churches of Asia Minor, and even through the Apostle Paul, you addressed the Corinthian believers. And so we, we ask that you would, even now, assess us um, and do uh, mold us and shape us more and more into your likeness, not only as individuals, but as a body um, and that we may uh, serve you in a way that really um, honors you and glorifies you. Uh, we delight in you, O oh, oh God, and in you we take refuge. You are um, our salvation. We boast in you and in you alone. Amen.